0: This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. org.
1: Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And sitting across from me is none other than Doctor. Richard Blackaby. Welcome. It's good to be with you again, Sam. It's always a pleasure, Richard. Uh, we're doing a bit of a different uh, show today. We we do this uh, every once in a while. We do a leader profile, and it's uh, it's always a fun fun thing for me to to do. And, and I know a lot of our listeners enjoy these um, profiles, looking at leaders throughout history. And uh, well, we have certainly got ourselves uh, a, a profile today. So why don't, you, why don't you tell us about who we're looking at? Yeah,
0: well, I, you know, I try to move it around a bit and different kinds of leaders, business, political, religious leaders. Uh, and so I sometimes I pick leaders, uh, some because I think we certainly can learn lots from them. And uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I advocate and and, and, and sure. endorse <laughs> all that they do, and so this is one of those. Since you're cases. couching your yeah, I'm introduction my, here, myself. <laughs> so I thought, uh, well, actually, I was going to do Queen Elizabeth the uh, First, actually, and wanted to profile a woman and uh, a leader that I, I think, in many ways, was a very great leader. But uh, as I started to do that, I thought, well. But to, to appreciate her, you have to know something about her dad. Uh, and so I decided I'd, I'd do a profile on him first, and then uh, we'll come back to Elizabeth. And so, of course, her famous father is Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I wanted us to look at Henry VIII. And, of course, he's uh, famous um, or infamous uh, in various ways. <laughs> he's infamous. Uh, in famous. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if you know much about Henry, um, he... Uh, the, 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 typical picture of him is, uh, of him in later life, he's got this beard, he's, uh, o- quite, uh, uh obese, yeah. a large man, usually has like a chicken leg in his m- mouth and, uh, he, you know, he's feasting away and, 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 uh, perhaps most famously, uh, he has six wives and yeah. uh, not counting mistresses and other things. And so he's seen as a very hedonistic uh, sort of king. Um, he's a tutor. Um, and so you, you, he's kind of known mostly for that. And so you would think, wow, like what, what could you possibly learn from someone like that? He's, he's just a self-indulgent and uh, cruel. Uh, he has two of his wives beheaded um, threatens uh, to behead a few others, divorces too, uh, is finally outlived by his last one. But he, she was at one point in danger of being beheaded as well. So, um, so you look at something like that and say, wow, what a, what a disaster of a person. But, uh, but he does certainly do some things for England. Uh, England is when he comes to power, his father is, uh, not surprisingly Henry the seventh. And, uh, Henry VII, um, uh, actually is the first Tudor. He, uh, he sort of takes over, he has a battle with Richard Third that, uh, Shakespeare makes quite famous, his, uh, his, uh, great line, my horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. And, uh, he, he is killed in battle and Henry Seventh takes over and the Tudors begin, and uh Henry VII is not a very popular person he's kind of a miserly person he, he the kingdom is broke there's there's no money um and so he spends pretty well his whole rule trying to just make money and save money and and do what he can to to strengthen his rule he ultimately dies of tuberculosis and uh and uh, one of the things you have to understand about Henry VIII and that whole era like of course he Henry VIII uh is born in the late 1400s, uh, comes to power in the early 1500s. Uh, but the the lifespan was very short. And just yeah. just surviving as a baby, infant mortality was uh, huge. And so, for instance, Henry VIII has, uh, f- I think, four brothers who all die uh, prematurely, some in childbirth, some just uh, as one as a teenager. But uh, he's not supposed to be the king. Uh, he's got an older brother Arthur that is the heir and uh, is a, he's a teenager. He actually marries Catherine of Aragon, the famous woman that will become Henry's wife and uh, but then he dies as a teenager before their dad dies. And so uh, Henry as a young boy in you know, an early teen is he just figures he's just around for a ride. He's you know when he was the second born, you just kind of get to be the spoiled prince that doesn't have to do anything. And then uh, at age 17, suddenly he's made the king. And so, yeah. um, and one of the things you notice about the era of kings and queens is that even if, even when you study the Bible and you look at some of the people who become kings, like a King Josiah, he's eight years old when he becomes king. And that's, that's part of the problem with monarchies is yeah. that you don't wait till the guy's You know, 30 years old and had some experience and finished his schooling. Sometimes you're eight and suddenly you're the king.
1: Which certainly adds to the dynamic, I think, of when we think about kingdoms and stuff. There's all these advisors and these guys behind the scenes who are all trying to push their own agenda Especially when there's a new king in town, and
0: yeah, you know, trying to, and they they talk about a regency, which usually is what you did if you had like a eight year old boy, you'd you'd appoint someone or a group to kind of basically rule in his name until he was old enough to rule himself, and so, um, what, and that's one of the things you discover about Henry VIII is that when he, the interesting thing is that when when Henry becomes king, he's seventeen. And uh, he's actually very fit. He loves to, his favorite sport is jousting. He loves to joust and get on a horse and enter into combat. And he's actually quite good at it. He's, he's, uh, uh, they, they found his skeleton. Uh, they lost his body for a while. They didn't know where he was, couldn't find him, but finally came across him like just not all that long ago. And, uh, and they, they measured him, and he's about six foot two. And uh, I think had about a 35 inch waist and was just was quite muscular and uh, and big for that age and uh, uh, he loved to hunt and uh, loved sports of all kinds and uh, and so when he he's just a teenager when he becomes king and so for the first two years or so he he just he lets other people basically run the country and he's having a good time but he does one thing that is controversial kind of is that. Uh, he decides to marry his brother's wife. And his brother was only a teenager himself when he formally got married. And um, and so in the, the Christian, the, the Catholic law said that you weren't, uh, it was not proper, it was illegal basically to marry your brother's widow. Um, of course, in the, the Jewish tradition, you were supposed to do that if they didn't have an heir. But um, but the Christian tradition, you didn't marry your brother's widow, and so the Henry's dad had actually had to get a papal dispensation, and so, but that kind of hangs over Henry because uh, there's a lot of opinion that says he shouldn't do that. That's not proper, and she's six years older than him, so he's seventeen when he get, and he within like two months, he he decides I guess to show that he's his own man and he'll do what he wants. And so that, which cost him often. And so he marries his brother's widow. And, uh, and, and then the other thing that really drives so much of Henry and especially his marriages is that, um, his father is the first in the line of tutors and he's had like five sons, only one of which survives to adulthood, one Mm -hmm. of five. And, uh, and so if you're going to pass on your, your family tree, you want heirs you want especially you want male heirs uh, that uh, won't be manipulated and um controlled by others and so so henry that's that's his number one political concern is have a son and of course that's really what drives so much of him having wives is trying to have a wife that will give him a son and so he, um, so it's interesting how that plays out. You know, he, he actually has a son from a mistress and for a while there, it looks like that's the only son he's going to have. So he's already planning on having this illegitimate son, which is not normally done by Kings, but he makes him a Duke and he's going to make, he's grooming him to take over as King one day. Uh, and then when he's about 15, the that boy dies. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's just amazing when you read the story, uh, Catherine of Aragon, his wife has at least five or six kids. Uh, all but one dies of in childbirth or before coming to term. Uh, she only ever has one healthy child and that's Mary, the daughter. Um, and so ultimately uh, he decides, uh, and, and she's a very, very devout Catholic, which interestingly, so is Henry. Henry is very devout. But uh, the church will not give him a divorce. He will not. So, so ultimately, he goes back to the fine print and says, well, I really shouldn't have married her in the first place. Uh, she's my brother's wife, and, and I made a mistake. And so um, one, one thing about Henry is that he has all these... Um, very capable lieutenants who do all of his administration and, uh, several that are, are very gifted in running the country for him. Uh, the problem is that when you don't get results that Henry wants, you end up losing your head. And yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a barbaric kind of, uh, system, but several of his most talented servants will end up going to uh the Tower of London and being beheaded because uh not because they necessarily did anything wrong just they didn't get the result even though they tried really hard to get it uh and so he's got a man named Thomas Wolsey who is a he's actually a cardinal uh he's a, he's a Catholic uh but uh he gets appointed to um basically run the country for Henry and uh Wolsey is uh, he loves uh, Wealth and power, and prestige. He loves having a huge train of servants and 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 so on, and and uh, and he buys all kinds of properties and um, uh, and and loves opulence and power. He works really hard. I mean, he kind of earns his wealth, but uh, next to the king, he is by far and away the most powerful person. But but what you find is that all these powerful people have enemies and they all want to bring them down. And so Henry, uh, oftentimes follows a whim. And then when the whim doesn't work out, he blames his Lieutenant and has him beheaded. And so, so he tells Wolsey, basically, you're a Catholic cardinal, get this, I want a divorce, get it worked out. And he, he tries, he does everything he possibly can, but he falls short. He, the, the Pope, won't grant a divorce, and you'd think you you would hope it was just because uh, there were people of principle. Yeah, <laughs> but the problem is that Catherine of Aragon is is related to the King of, of Spain, and the King of Spain is also the, I think he's the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, and uh and he's got way more clout with the Pope than Henry does, and so w- the Pope basically has two kings one doesn't want him to get a divorce and one does. So he listens to the more powerful king and, uh, and doesn't give Henry what he wants. And so, uh, and so Wolsey is, uh, discredited. And of course he has nothing to do with that. He tried to, to get the divorce, but so he, and he would have been beheaded. He actually gets arrested and he's taken, uh, to the tower, but uh, he's quite sick by that point and he dies before he can be beheaded. So mercifully he dies from a terminal <laughs> illness <laughs> and does not have to have the humiliation of being the most powerful person uh, next to the king uh, and then being beheaded. But the interesting thing about Wolsey is that he, uh, he, he, so the way it works is if you, and the thing about Henry is he, one thing he does is he builds up the kingdom and he, and the role of king he he wants and, and, and people you sort of you if you study English history you realize that of course the country takes great pride in its king or queen and if you've got a powerful opulent monarch then that means you're you're a powerful nation and so he uh he just is obsessed with houses and properties and so Henry just buys I mean he had over 70 homes and all kinds of hunting lodges and different yeah. things and and um and so one of the things a lot of times he he would give some of those away to to different nobles to kind of keep them happy but but he's constantly buying properties and building properties and uh and so Wolsey his lieutenant is building this new property about 15 miles outside of, of uh London called uh, Hampton Court and uh it's beautiful and uh it's modern and and opulent, and so uh, at a certain point, it's it's nicer than just about anything that the king has. And so when Wolsey starts to realize he's in trouble with the king, he graciously offers to give it to the king, <laughs> uh, and the king graciously receives it. And uh, so Sam, you and I were there at Hampton Court yeah. last summer. We we'll have to post a few pictures. It's uh, it's really something uh, to see these houses uh, that uh, that these. The, the kings and queens of England had, but uh, but but when when you're branded a traitor, then that means that all of your property goes to the, the crown, and so ultimately, uh, everything that Wolsey had, uh, the king Henry takes over, and so he but he's already been given Hampton Court, but uh, Wolsey's got a bunch of property. He's got one place called York Place. In London, that uh, he forfeits, and it it gets renamed eventually to Whitehall. And uh, for years and years and years, it was the largest palace in all of Europe. And uh, in fact, it became the center of British uh, government. In fact, even even now, you'll hear yeah. things about White coming out of Whitehall. Now, Whitehall itself burned down; it doesn't even exist pretty well anymore. But it's it the name came to represent British government. Mm-hmm. And, but that was Wolsey's property as well. And Wolsey also was building a a beautiful tomb for himself uh, to be, I think at Windsor, uh, in the palace or Windsor castle. And that gets forfeited as well. And Henry was going to use it for himself. And then, but he never got around to finishing it. It was very expensive. And, uh, ultimately part of it was used uh, to bury Lord Nelson. I think, uh, it's, it's just funny how some of these things get passed around and renamed and you go back and and so anyway uh, wolsey fails to get the divorce so henry very uh famously decides that he's going to p- pass a law that uh that the king of england is the head of the english church not the pope and so he he has to first of all cr- set up his own church and and uh and so he sets up archbishop of canterbury to be the head of the church in the new church and Gets uh, somebody, to, uh, Thomas Cranmer, to be in charge of that. And Cranmer dutifully uh, gives him a, the divorce that he wants. And uh, and so you, you see a lot of things that are, uh, you know, you, you just see some recipes for danger. Uh, one is when you have the state involved in the church, um, it's never a good recipe. Anytime, even today, anytime that Religious leaders get too close to government. It's just never. It's never good for the church. Yeah. Um, and it. It. You can just see the church trying to keep government happy, and um, it, it never comes out well for the church. It's always compromise, and uh, which you, you can see that in the Church of England even to this day. But, um, but also you, you, when you see someone like Henry, he, he builds up the kingship. Uh, but the thing that's sort of interesting about him, or just to say for break, is that he, um, he doesn't just always just rule by decree. He's, he has this sort of veneer of working with parliament, and that actually makes him very powerful, because usually the kings that get in trouble are the ones who act as if they don't need parliament. Right. And, uh, and that's really what led to the French Revolution, is they, the king of France just didn't call parliament, because he he didn't, didn't want to have to do what they said. Uh, Henry would work with Parliament, but they tended to, to, to kowtow and give him what he wanted. And so, for yeah. instance, if he wants to behead one of his wives, uh, he'll have this <laughs> little investigation, and then the, the Parliament will pass a decree. Uh, and and I, I'll tell you, as I read, as I was just kind of rereading—by uh, the way, it's I, th- this information is from a book um, called Henry VIII, King in Court by Alison Weir— and uh, Alison Weir is, uh, is a good biographer. She's written several. She actually wrote the biography on Queen Elizabeth as well that I'll, I'll have us talk about sometime. But um, but w- with uh, with Henry, uh, w- w- what you see is that he's, he, he gets surrounded by cyclophants that just keep telling him that he's wonderful. They're, they're terrified to ever challenge him. Um, w- w- Henry VIII actually had a uh, uh like a necklace or something that he wore a locket that he wore often around his neck and uh, basically it said I would rather die than change my mind <laughs> so <laughs> so you know once he believed yeah. something you you didn't you didn't challenge him and so but that's just never good. Um, and you watch Henry Eighth as he gets older um that when you're constantly told it's not your fault you know you've been married, Six times, but none of that's your fault. Like you, you were lied to. Your your lieutenants uh, misled you, um, and uh, it it turns you into an egomaniac. And well, and, you know, you think about it, so what a lonely place to be if you're the king and you've
1: got no one who will tell you the truth. Yeah, and that's a that's a
0: horrible place to be. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, at the in his last wife, Catherine Parr, was a Protestant and. She quite and she was she handled herself quite well for the most part, but one day now, now uh, Henry VIII saw himself as kind of a theologian. In fact, his dad was actually educating him for the church because he was the he wasn't supposed to be a king, and yeah. so he's actually had theological training. He wrote a big defense of the Catholic Church at one point, point in his award he's actually the Pope names him the defender of the faith, and so he he sort of saw himself as and he was a, a very bright, well-read person. But um, one day he's talking with his wife, Catherine, and she's kind of challenging him and basically out-arguing him, and it really makes him mad that, that he got bested in argument by his wife, and so he, he starts complaining about that, and, uh, and there were always enemies, uh, always people ready to encourage him to do in his, his wife. And so uh, one person comes along and says, "Well, you—that kind of disrespect is uh, disloyal and basically, it's treason. It's treason." And so you—what a convenient uh, mechanism! Yeah, to always win. And so, uh, so he actually uh, starts things in motion to arrest his sixth wife. She learns of it and she goes kind of hysterical and and finally gets called in and she throws himself at his feet and says. Uh, uh basically by this time he's got all kinds of ulcers on his legs and he has gout and he's in a lot of pain and suffering and she says i was just trying i was just arguing vigorously with you to try to get your mind off of your pain your physical pain and just make you think of something else but i would I would never be disloyal to you or disrespectful and so on and so they make up and she her life is spared um but especially in his later life uh he got pretty cranky, and uh you didn't want to cross him but <laughs> but but you know, I've read a biography on joseph Stalin, yeah, and it just reminded me exactly that of those, I was actually know. thinking that it's, it's like he he had all these people around him that just kept trying to tell him exactly what he wanted to hear and instead of stalin i mean Stalin had lots of people just murdered quietly by the k g b but but typically they would they would send out memos or you know documents and all of his henchmen would have to sign off on that that this was a legal execution and he, that he was a, a tre- they'd proven he was a, uh, you know this was treason and and so there's this veneer of of uh, it's all legal and official and
1: yeah yeah that it's not just a decree from on high that it's yeah, you know he's and, gone through
0: the proper channels and so, and and so. i mean you just really, as you read that even and and even as he's getting sicker and his mind is getting Uh, swayed whoever has the ear of the king is constantly trying to convince him to basically kill all of the enemies of whoever it is who's telling the king that they should do it and and you just see that the danger of absolute power i'll tell you as as frustrating and awkward as democracies can be uh, balance of powers c- can cause you to, oftentimes, not get stuff done. You know, sometimes you watch uh, Congress today, and maybe the president wants to do something, but the lower house or the Senate vetoes it or votes against it, and you think, "Well, how do you ever get anything done?" But when you see what can happen with with a king who basically can just decree whatever he wants on a whim, you realize just how dangerous and and Bad, that it may be more efficient in some ways, uh, getting yeah. things done, but uh, you realize uh, p- absolute power uh, certainly does corrupt, absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break here
1: uh, before we wrap up this uh, very intriguing biography of Henry VIII. Twice a year, Blackaby Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is October 26th to 28th, and registration is open now. The early bird rate is available until September 26th, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. So, Richard, uh I- Henry the is not someone that uh, springs to mind when you think of great leaders, or even yeah. necessarily a leader. I mean, you know, he was a, a king in, in in history, and so uh, it's just been fascinating to learn some of of uh, of his biography. Um, maybe in the last few minutes here, uh, what else can you draw out of uh, Henry the Eighth's life that uh. Uh, perhaps can be useful? You know, we before the break we talked about just absolute power and you know, how reminiscent his life is of, uh, of Joseph Stalin's and just the dangers of, of absolute power. And so obviously that's something to keep in mind. But uh, what are maybe some other principles that you've uh, discovered
0: in your reading of uh, Henry VIII? Well, you know, it's interesting. So much of history, when you look back, is on chance, on just happenstance. You know, it's uh, yeah. if, if, uh, if Catherine of Aragon, his first wife, had had a son instead of a daughter, What would have changed? You know, there might never have been a Church of England. uh, Hmm. You know, and but because she has a daughter, uh, and she's very strong Catholic, uh, ultimately uh, the Anglican Church is birthed, and uh, uh, and so eventually, of course, Henry falls in love with the lady in waiting, Anne Boleyn, and uh, and the thing that you 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 don't always realize is that uh, because sometimes you just think that's pretty cruel. Uh, if you, uh, your wife falls out of favor, you just have her beheaded.
1: But yeah, pe- I think most people, people <laughs> would think that's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, people like Anne Boleyn, if you it, now she was had Protestant leanings, and uh, but uh, the thing when when you read about people like her, they don't just fall in love with the king. Obviously, they they want to get all of their family into positions of power, and so it's along with Anne Boleyn comes all of her relatives and friends and they take over prominent lucrative positions and they oust families of other, other families and people. And Anne particularly just had, uh, a lot of, of, um, she made a lot of enemies. And so, uh, and so what, what happens is it's not just like, I'm just tired of Anne. It's like all of her family are now controlling the British government and uh, there's, a, there's a they have many enemies who want the family out. And so often, like for instance, when Anne Boleyn is beheaded, usually several of her relatives will get beheaded too. They, they sort of purge. And that's what made me think of Stalin. It's like these yeah. purges, you know. So then the next family comes in and uh, in that case, it was Jane Seymour. And by the way, Anne Boleyn Interestingly about her is that like all these women and and Anne as well, just like Catherine had maybe four or five miscarriages Um, and they all desperately want to give the king a son. You know, if you can just give him a son, then you're kind of safe Uh, because he's going to really want to hold on to that son and he's not going to want to kill the son's mother. Uh, So we can't even imagine that. But these women are just desperate to give birth to a son. And so yeah and she's she may get may have gotten pregnant four or five times she only ultimately gives birth to one healthy child and it's a girl Elizabeth uh, now when it's it's rumored that she was pregnant when she was beheaded and that's kind of interesting like what mm. if what if she was actually carrying a son but never gave birth because she was beheaded before then but uh, um, and Elizabeth of course is going to be the one heir that, hangs around for a long time. She ends up ruling for 40 years. Uh, but she was actually considered illegitimate. Uh, interestingly, a- Anne Boleyn gets pregnant with Elizabeth before Henry's married to her. And uh, and so when they finally, later, when they try to denounce Anne Boleyn, they try to make it sound like she was unfaithful to Henry and that Elizabeth might not even have been Henry's daughter. and uh, And so Elizabeth... Uh, she, her, her very life is in danger the whole time I mean, because her, when your mother was beheaded for treason, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't bode well for you. you know? like, right. uh, you're not exa- exactly expecting to become the, the, the monarch eventually later. But, uh, and so uh, she gets beheaded, and Jane Seymour comes along. And Seymour is, for all intents and purposes, a pretty nice person. She actually takes Elizabeth and Mary, the two princesses, and reconciles them with their father and and brings them back to the palace. When you when you're like Henry VIII, you have 70 different palaces, you know. <laughs> you you typically would send your kids to live in these palaces and and kind of get them away from the the main court and especially if they were out of favor and so you just they would just disappear to one of your country estates and they'd be raised there but uh, but Seymour she gets pregnant and she actually gives birth to a son, Edward but things were so barbaric back then, the medicine, the, the sterilization and so on, that she must have they think that she probably got infected with just unsterilized birthing equipment. And she dies uh, not long after giving hmm. birth. but she's at least given birth to a son. And, uh, and Edward, that being a son, even though he's the third child, he, he immediately goes to first in line as an heir. And uh, ultimately, now th- that, and so that's it for Henry's for he has six kids. And he only has three legitimate children out of six wives. Um, and Mary will die young. Uh, Edward will die when he's like seventeen or so. He'll be he'll die. Uh, and and Elizabeth uh, will end up reigning for forty some years, but never gets married, never has kids. And so Henry, his big desire is. I've got. I want to continue this dynasty. I want the Tudor dynasty to last uh, for many, many generations to come. It doesn't last past basically his kids. Um, he has three kids out of six wives, and mm. then they, the Stuarts, end up having to take over because he, none of his kids had kids, and uh, and so you watch Henry his whole reign trying to have kids that will, especially sons, and uh, that will carry on the tradition, and uh, he he can't do it, and of course is you may be an almighty powerful king but you can't make someone get pregnant and you can't make them have a son you mm-hmm. there are certain th- chances of fate the hand of god uh there're just certain things out of the control of a leader uh and that's certainly one of them and so Jane Seymour dies in childbirth and so he marries uh th- he's he hears of of this Anne of Cleves this uh princess in in Germany who's a Protestant and he decides he's he sees a picture of her. A famous painter Holbein has painted this picture of be- this beautiful German princess, and so he decides to marry her. She arrives in England, and he's less than impressed. He thinks that the there was some early photoshopping being There's done, some embellishment by and, the and, artist. Uh, <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't stay married to her very long, and uh, but now he's got a church that will annul marriages for him if he wants, and so they annul that one. And he ultimately kind of becomes friends with her, gives her some houses and lets her stay in England. But, um, but he's done with her. Marries a, a a teenager, uh, uh, Catherine Howard. And, uh, but by this time, Henry VIII is old and he's obese and he's sickly and he's got married, this teenage girl. Uh, and, and, and so she cheats on him, which is of course, the huge double standard you know Henry the eighth he could cheat all he wanted but yeah uh, but if your wife was supposed to be chaste and faithful even and look the other way while the husband is cheating on her uh and so she, so but of course all of her Howard's uh, relatives are now in power and all their enemies want them out of power and so ultimately they they come to Henry and say hey we've found evidence your wife is being unfaithful to you and so you need to behead her and all of her relatives and so at 17, she's uh, beheaded. And you think, here's this young girl, just really a tool of these families wanting power. And uh, she's famously, uh, when it, when she gets to the Tower of London, she asks for the chopping block to be brought to her room so she can practice uh, placing her head with dignity upon it before it's beheaded. Hmm. And uh, so she is beheaded, and Catherine Parr ultimately is the sixth wife, and uh, she never has kids. Henry is older now, and she's, uh, I think, maybe a little bit older, but, um, but she sort of nurses him and tries to keep his temper under control. But right up until he is dying, he's having people sent to the chopping block, and people just live in fear of him, especially as he gets older. And you know, he was not known that way. When he started out, he was known as very generous and likable, and they called him more of a companion than a king. He was a good friend. He was quite liberally educated and better educated than most kings had been to that point. But, uh, you know, you watch him suffer disappointments and and uh, all of the the lobbying that goes on all the time, trying to sway him and plant thoughts in his head and and then just disappointments, having a son born and then dying in infancy, um, trying desperately to do things the way you want and, and, and being foiled. Uh, and then just all the illnesses. Like if you have gout, it's a very painful thing. And he's got ulcers in his legs. He can't ride horses after a while or at least can't joust. And uh, you you just wonder. Sometimes when you read about kings that get really cruel, you wonder how much of that was gout you know you wonder how much of that was just he, he, he had ulcers all over his legs and he was just irritable and in pain all the time and you wonder how many wars have been fought because a ruler uh just had a physical ailment that just kept him up at night and put him Dear. in a cranky disposition but We'll never know all that, but uh, in his later years, he was really a terrifying man. And uh, interestingly, his three children all spoke reverently of him. They all feared him, of course, uh, for their life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but he he dies, and he actually leaves the country in debt. He fought some wars, and he loved to spend money, and he loved to buy houses and refurbish houses, and uh, and so he's he's spent he was always determined to make the king, the kingship look really impressive. The kings, and he was always competing with the King of France. He wanted to, the France, France had way more money and more people. And so he was always trying to keep up and be more impressive. And he had this rivalry with the King Francis of France, uh, that, uh, he, he, he basically spent like a, a, thief trying to keep up with, uh, France. And so when everything gets settled and Queen Elizabeth finally comes to power, there's a big debt in the country, and, and his, her father has spent all the, the resources. And to Elizabeth's credit, uh, when she dies, there's actually a surplus in the bank. She rules for over 40 years and, and does so carefully and uh, not nearly as extravagantly and uh, sort of reclaims some of the, her father's honor. But uh, Henry VIII is famous as a king, a terrifying king a lot of the images you have of him is later in life not the first part not the first half of his rule mm-hmm. um but uh you you see what happens it just I, I don't know if anybody can really handle that kind of absolute power and uh, fawning of psychophants uh without um it going to your head and uh, and changing you and it's very i i think the the lesson for leaders is um guard your heart and uh and don't be afraid of those people that tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, when you have no one that tells you the truth, it's pretty hard to stay in touch with reality. Yeah,
1: well, certainly a fascinating
0: uh, character and uh, figure of history. Yeah.
1: And we'll, we'll be sure to leave links to, to that biography in our show notes. And until next time.